Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Talking City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Bajkowski. Uh, on today's episode, we will be looking back at City's enthralling draw with Spurs at the weekend. We'll look ahead to the new Premier League deal, £6.7 billion. What will that mean for Man City? What will that mean for the, the rest of the league? And of course, we'll look at the Erling Haaland outburst. We'll take a look at Pep Guardiola's post-match comments as well. I mean, Si, we were promised fun, weren't we, at the Etihad's? On Sunday, too much fun? Uh, it wasn't much fun in the press box, let me tell you, with a what a 90th minute equaliser and then a 95th minute refereeing controversy to end all controversies. It was... Uh... What's your match report looking like at that stage? It's, it's just been ripped apart for a, an equaliser yeah. and it's maybe ripped apart to focus on... Yeah, it was, uh, like I say, not not very much fun. Um, but yeah, the, the fans... Had a lot of fun, too much fun for Pep Guardiola um, and Manchester City. They're not kind of, they don't enjoy those games. They don't enjoy playing Tottenham, do they? They never enjoy playing Tottenham, no, but um, they're certainly not enjoying at the minute, just not having that that control. And uh, Andrew Postacoglu said after the game, he sort of said City, they never gave City that control in the second half. And he was like, that is what you need if you're to have any chance of taking a result. And that is very true. You know, there's been a lot of sort of people working out how how to beat City, how to... Blueprints. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and one of the things is, you know, to not let them be in control, but it's much easier said than done. Yeah. And we've seen before as well in the past, haven't we, that that chaos can sometimes bring up the best of City because City's best ever wins are always just when they ride that wave of chaos. But then when they have some of their more disappointing results, it's often that the chaos works against them. So it's very yeah. fine margins. Maybe. Yeah, you would say on the whole, Guardiola hates chaos. And, you know, he said before, like, oh, Calvin Phillips is a perfect player for us when the match is chaotic. And 
the fact that he never plays is because City never try and engineer chaos. But also, interestingly, he didn't come on on um, Saturday. Rico Lewis was the one who was was turned to. Um, but yeah, it, it's just not. It, it chaos is usually a sign that City aren't on it. And like you say, they can be brilliant and use it to their advantage. But when I think of City using chaos to their advantage, it's somebody like Kevin De Bruyne stepping up and taking the mantle and he's injured. So I'm not sure they've got... It felt like Saturday, uh, Sunday was a lot of sort of coming... Things coming to a head, various issues, um, and one of them being that sort of City's injured players are um, are really sort of taking taking it out of the team. Yeah, uh, I mean, what is your reflection of the game then? Because I've seen on social media that some fans have said, "Look, we should have won that game comfortably. We had a lot of chances." Yeah. Other supporters said, "Look." It's probably a sort of fair result because it was that sort of match where both teams had the opportunities, both teams took them, both teams could have scored more, both teams could have conceded more. Do you think it was a fair result in the end? I think it was because City didn't put the chances away. I think if, you know, City did more than enough to win the game and were the better team than Spurs, but I agree with the Spurs manager that you always felt like Spurs were in the game and City should have beaten Chelsea, should have beaten Liverpool should have beaten Spurs. And I feel like after every, each one of those games, Guardiola has said, that's football. And it is, in a way. If it keeps on happening, but the longer it happens, the more you look for a pattern and you more the think, right, why are you conceding so many chances? Or even if you're not conceding so many chances, why is every chance you concede turning into a goal? And, you know, Pep said afterwards in his press conference, there were sort of shades from his first season when they didn't win anything. There's also shades from 1920 when they didn't win the league, when they played really well a lot of the time, but they would just have sort of catastrophic errors at the back every so often. Um, so you think, do you think that is leadership? Or I mean, you've said that the injured players, particularly De Bruyne, I mean, anyone's got to miss a player of his quality. It's just they don't have that control and maybe the even the game management that they've had in the past where they've, I mean, the biggest compliment you can pay City is at their best, they get called boring because they take a lead and they see it out and yeah. it's no frills because the away team has no chance to come back into it. Yeah. Now City are worryingly very entertaining to watch again, which means something's going wrong. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's, I, I feel like it's small things that are having, that are building up to a knock-on effect, you know, like Kevin De Bruyne and John Stones being out two players who are getting to any team in world football. Arguably two of the best midfielders in the world last yeah. season. Yeah, it, it's a huge loss. Um, and then you also consider last season when they won the league, De Bruyne was part of a, a four behind Haaland that was Grealish, De Bruyne, Gundogan and Bernardo or, or Mares. Um, now you've got Doku, Foden, Alvarez... Bernardo, but Bernardo's kind of inside, so it's Walker. It's a completely new front four almost behind Haaland. So so that isn't helping. And those players aren't as accustomed to controlling uh, games because they've not done it before. But they're also with their skill set. You know, Foden and Alvarez, uh, Pep said after the Liverpool game, Foden and Alvarez are not De Bruyne and Gundogan. No, they don't control the game in the same way. No, they don't have what those players have. And they have other qualities but they're not as good at control. Um, When you don't have that control, it's harder for 
other for sort of the rest of the teams keep control there's more pressure on the defense when those further forward don't have control the defense then are under more pressure and put in more situations where they may concede so they do concede more goals Rodri is put under more pressure when those players ahead of him don't keep the ball Rodri's got five yellow cards already he misses the Villa game so it's small things that are sort of colliding into each yeah. other that are all making it a bit difficult and we should also say the three points off the top of the table so it is it's not like the end of the world no if there's gonna be a season where you're gonna have maybe a few yeah. issues yeah. then get like last season city you know arsenal were runaway f- favorites were lots of it, and then city just did what city do and came good and yeah. it, part of you still thinks well this season it could still very much end up that way once those players are back once they've found a way to play with their newer players. And again, another point on that is they are depleted. So their options off the bench aren't necessarily the game changes they've had in the past because they don't have as many options, really. I mean... No, and, you know, Grealish came off the bench and scored what should have been the winner. Um, and then you'd be saying what a wonderful sub he was and what yeah. an option, what luxury it was to have. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, could have scored again had that referee incident that we'll get onto didn't happen. So... Um, there is there there is more kind of more options than there there was maybe a week ago or a month ago or whatever. But also you've got you know it's great that Rico Lewis is coming on and is trusted as sort of the person to change it. But you've also got you know Kovacic on the bench who's not trusted ahead of Lewis and you know Kovacic had a really good start at City and then he's kind of tailed off after a few injuries and he is yet to show kind of that he can do what he was brought here to do. Do you think that's just typical first season under Pep take a while to adjust or do you think again that is just someone Yeah I think it is and I think you know you you say with young players is you want to drop them into an established team you don't want to stick five academy players out on the pitch and then wonder why it's not works because you want say a player to play among everyone else who knows what they're doing and then they learn the patterns of play get their confidence up and it's not conducive to nurture a young talent if they're in a team that's erratic and doesn't have that confidence yeah and it's the same with a new talent you know I'm sure Kovacic would play better if if he was with De Bruyne or um Gundogan we can't keep mentioning Gundogan because he's left but it is an important departure yeah um so it is one of those things where it's probably not helped him, but also, yeah, he he has tailed off a bit with his with his performances since the start of the season. The elephant in the room, the incident. <laughs> Are we going to call it just the incident? Is that a better way to sort of? Yeah. It's like an ITV drama, isn't yeah. it? The incident. Well, it feels like we've had enough coverage of it that it could be a, a three or four. Yeah, part. sort of a wagger for Chris. Oh. It'd be on ITVX in a year or two, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, where do we start on it then? I mean, I guess from from you in the stadium, what was your immediate reaction? I mean, obviously you're in the press box, oh you're side on. <laughs> yeah. The break's on, There's there yeah. is still time left on the clock. Yeah. It, it was just like shock and what on earth has he done? Why has he done that? There's a lot of times when you're in the press box and you're like, I need to see a replay of that yeah. because I've not fully seen it. But it was like, it, it was almost like, to say it was the 95th minute as well when usually you sort of, trying to file your match pieces. Um, it felt like everyone saw it. They just couldn't believe it. 
um, because you sort of, I, I didn't know whether he'd played advantage initially or had not deemed it worthy of a foul. Um, but I saw Simon Hooper kind of not give anything when Haaland was brought down by Romero. Then you see Haaland pick the ball up. He chips it over the top. Grealish scampers free. And and then he, the referee blows. And it, 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 it is one of the worst refereeing mistakes I can remember. It's, it, it's kind of up there. Obviously, City didn't score and you wouldn't know whether they would score. But it, it's probably the it's second worst this season after the Liverpool-Tottenham. And if you, um, you know, if you take into account the Bruno Fernandes goal against City in January, then it's sort of like two of the three worst this year have gone against City, which is, you know, very disappointing for a team that, for a club that pays all the referees to give them all yeah. the decisions, you have to say. Yeah, you've got to stop paying them more, haven't they, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's a difficult one, is it? Is there any... Am I going to be devil's advocate? Am I going to say, has Simon Hooper simply not seen Grealish from where he stood? I mean, I've seen that argument online from Liverpool fans, surprise, surprise, defending the referee in, in that situation when it's gone against City. You know that maybe there were players blocking the way he's not seen Grealish, but I guess ultimately the problem now is the lack of clarity and explanation of Yeah, of Yeah, I mean, in a way, it doesn't really matter why he decided what he decided, but... But I think though, if he legitimately hasn't seen Grealish and he's like, oh, well, it's actually more of an advantage to give City this free kick now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. that would be an explanation. I mean, if anyone would believe that or not, it's a completely different... Yeah, or he could, you know, he could say he thought that the Spurs players would have got back or the keeper would have come out and got the ball or, you know, anything like that. It would help to have an explanation and it doesn't need to be Simon Hooper, but it could be, you know, Howard Webb or the head of the referee yeah. saying, look... The ref did this, as they do with VAR, as they try and sort of sell us on VAR and say, here's the thought process. You you would like the thought process. And I know that like, you know, one of the arguments is, well, Harlem missed an open goal. So yeah, there's know, no guarantee of he, going he, in. He, but, like, he, but like, you know, he made a mistake and the ref made a mistake. But it's like, yeah, but the ref is there to sort of apply the law, apply the rules and make sure the game flows properly and... You know, it was a, a howler of a decision and it would help if we had his his thought process, even if it's not an apology, you know, even if it's just the ref thought that this was going to happen. So that's why I made the decision. It it Because uh, otherwise your abiding feeling is Simon Hooper has made a terrible decision. And every time Simon Hooper refs again, you will think there's Simon Hooper who made that terrible decision. Until we've got no referees left. Yeah, and and was still cleared to play again. You know, I thought it was daft. It was saying like, oh, well, he's not been stood down because it was an, they've agreed it was an honest mistake. And you think, well, what were all the other mistakes where you do stand refs down? Yeah. Are they like dishonest mistakes? Are yeah. they like... Premeditated mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and, but again, it's sort of like, you know, when the Tottenham-Liverpool thing happened, everyone went, berserk and there was no rationale no. there was no like oh well you know let's just accept VAR made a mistake it was like you know pitchforks at the ready yeah. and and I don't know whether it's because it's the referee rather than VAR and we all hate VAR so we're all taught to hate referees as well from a young age aren't we yeah they are always that person in black why would you want to be a referee every chant at a football ground is 
the referee is a bleep. Yeah, yeah. And but like, you know, Ali McCoyce was on Talk Sport and I, I love Ali McCoyce and he he said, you know, it was it was refreshing to see like a referee make a mistake rather than VAR. The good and, old days, wasn't and, it? And I get that, but but VAR has made referees worse and referees wimp out of decisions. Yeah, because they're not because authority. They, yeah, and VAR this season backs up referees more than ever. You know, they want to turn their mates in and be like, you've yeah. done a crap job. If they'd had VAR for that decision, I'm not sure they'd have said that was a clear and obvious error because they would have probably backed up whatever Simon Hooper had said. So like VAR is only propping up bad refereeing. So if, if you're saying, oh, well, he made a mistake, get over it, you're sort of accepting refereeing is terrible you know move on and and i should say as well city didn't try and make a thing out of the the, the decision you know they all went mad um when when it happened and they've been charged for it but after the game nobody was saying we didn't win the game because of this everyone from pep down they all said we didn't win the game because we didn't take our chances which is is right you know city aren't having this witch hunt against the referee but there seems to be sort of a weird witch hunt against City instead we will be back after this short break to talk more about refereeing you're in for a treat I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is The Deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Also, just a quick note, if you can hear any machinery outside, um, that isn't the industrial language of Simon Badgerkowski. That is just more work being done right outside the podcast studio, which is very, very helpful from Reach PLC and the Manchester News. Um, ta- Simon, we promised more refereeing talk. Yes. Here we go. I mean, you mentioned there as well, the end of part one, the fallout of, of what happened. So City have been fined. Erling Haaland hasn't. Where do you stand on that? Do you think that is the the right, I mean, to take punishment for, for what happened? I mean, ultimately, if we say we want the referees to be more accountable, then they have to have that respect and you've got to take their word as final anyway. And players confronting them and being in their face, you know, you've got to draw a line at that, haven't you? Yeah. Even, th- if, even if they've got the right to be outraged. No, yeah, no, I think so. But I, I, I don't want to go down the, the rugby played by gentlemen sort of <laughs> crap because we all know that. But, but, you know, some of the arguments that have come out have been like mad. And one of the things is rugby and it's like everyone respects rugby. Which they don't, we, by the way. Which they don't. But also, you know, the rugby referee is mic'd up and explains his decisions, which, which always helps. Um, and also, you know, rugby is... It is not a work 
a working class sport, rugby union, which which is what people say when they mean rugby. They don't mean rugby league because they don't they don't care. No, um, but you know, football is much more a working class sport than rugby union, and there's a bit of sort of class bias of well, well these these people know how to behave these private schoolers don't yeah 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 and um and the people who are saying that are generally showing their class um the other one is kind of like well van dyke got banned after he was um sent off at newcastle and told the referee what he thought of his decision so why wasn't Harland and we saw that Lewis Dunk red card a couple of weeks ago for dissent, didn't we as well? Yeah, I mean I've seen sort of more about the Van Dyke one probably because the Liverpool sort of there's more about Liverpool than there is Brighton. Um, but the thing with the Van Dyke one was that um, you know the referee had made the right decision, so Van Dyke was sort of questioning a wrong decision. And you maybe I don't know, but you know if the FA are evaluating everything, they're probably must take into account well city have got every reason to be unhappy with the decision because um, factors because it was the wrong decision it, it was fundamentally wrong so you know it, it's it is harlan sort of screaming at a referee which looks pretty ugly and isn't what you want to encourage but is in the heat of a moment in a very very important match where he feels his team have been robbed of the opportunity to win it yeah and and he's not wrong yeah he's right yeah uh, and the referee is wrong so and this isn't just a kick about we mates this is yeah huge and that could have serious implications on city's yeah. title defense you know there are so many kids who want to be the next harland and look up to harland and that is another debate you know should footballers be seen as role models or or whatever but it's not what you want to see Haaland doing and if Haaland doing that encourages other kids to do that then that is absolutely wrong um however you know City were angry City have been charged collectively um it's it'll be a a fine so it won't really hurt them too much but it be a, a decent sized fine and a reminder that they shouldn't do it um I, I just kind of think, yeah, and even with like, we've we've sort of had an, a lot of analysis over three letters with uh, his WTF post. You know, is that swearing? I mean, it's one of those where you need to know what it means yourself. In isolation, WTF is yeah. not is, is not swearing, is, is it? Is that questioning? I mean, I think you could say that it's... You only need to know what the swear word is yourself yeah, for it yeah. to have any meaning. You could argue that it's questioning the referee's decision. I'm not sure you could argue it's questioning the integrity of the referee. He's allowed to disagree with a decision. There's yeah, no yeah. There's no law that says referee's decision, you have to agree with it. Yeah, I mean, I imagine a lot of the millions of people watching the game will have expressed similar sentiment, whether they support City or not. When they saw that decision, will have been, what on earth has gone on? Has, has happened there so yeah it's um i i feel like all the talk of harlan needs to be banned and city need to be i don't know expelled from the league for this um is coming from a bit of we need to make an example of someone, someone. yeah and let's do it to the and let's do it team. to the most high profile player and the champions yeah. um but i think if you're looking at precedent I don't really think there has been there's not so Lewis Dunn got sent off by the on-field referee. Yeah. I don't I can't remember a situation where a player has sort of, you know, had a go at a ref uh has had no 
on-field punishment and has... Had retrospective. Yeah. 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 And even with, um, you know, the incident with Garnacho and Anana, which was very similar to Bernardo Silva, you know, the FA were more lenient on Garnacho than they were Bernardo. And, you know, if you were City, you could probably make the point, well, the FA are sort of showing that they're showing more lenience than they did. So it would be sort of out of character for them to be sort of less lenient than they have been on a lot of other stuff. Yeah. This and, and again, like you said that, that ultimately it's just always the buzzword of refereeing is just consistency, consistency of your decision-making, consistency of your punishments, consistency just with how you apply the rules. And yeah. then if there is that consistency, then you might not agree with it, but at least you don't feel like different teams are getting different treatment. You don't feel like there is these blurred lines about what is, yeah, what's yeah. what, basically. And, and I think, um, you know, it was really out of character or inconsistent with everything we've seen, which is why I think it's such a bad decision and like up there in the, the worst decisions, because one of the big things now is the refs let everything go. Yeah. And a player can be miles offside. So it, it, maybe if this had happened play. 15 years ago, you say yeah. that's understandable because there wasn't this sort of motive from the top where the Premier League would say, look, we want to encourage fast flow in football. We want the play to continue, then we'll bring it back. Yeah. We've seen countless times where a player's clearly offside. Yeah. He's allowed to put the ball back in the net and then they put the flag up. Yeah. Why, in this example, would you need to do you the know, same? You know, because someone was saying, what if they thought Grealish was offside? Well, wait for the linesman yeah. and... Or check it. Let him go through and then check it if it's offside. But it's inconsistent from his decision one second earlier because he's thought, all right, I'm going to let this go and see if there's an advantage. Um, ra rather than blow up for the foul. So why not wait a second after the ball is played to see if there is that advantage rather than, you know, maybe he thought, oh, Erling Haaland's never going to play someone through. So he so, so he blew up, but um, that doesn't excuse it. And th there isn't really an, an excuse for it other than he simply got it wrong. And many people get things wrong and yeah. people in football get things wrong all the time in games. Read my pieces every single day. Yeah, yeah. But but there is kind of like a, another, you know, one of the arguments has been, well, Harlan missed an open goal, so he made a mistake. So that's just the same as that. And you're like, yeah, that's fine. But it's a bit like coming to sort of the end of a, a boxing match and someone scores you wrong and you lose the fight. And they say, well, if you'd knocked him out in round five, we wouldn't have had to do it. And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, but you've still done your job wrong. And it's, I guess that just depends how you look at sport in general, isn't it? Because like you said, you could look at any single, you look at a match where it's nil-nil, someone misses the penalty in the last minute. You, the concentration would be on the penalty miss, but you could say, well, there's loads of mistakes prior to that. But ultimately that is the one moment that could have right at the end impacted the result and swung it either way. So yeah, and I think like there is a lot of sort of defence of Simon Hooper is like... Oh, yeah, I've got to ask you about this because I, I think the managers have... I mean, perhaps they didn't want to make a Mikel Arteta comment, which, you know, was was brilliant. But we've yeah. seen, I mean, Ange, as we all we all love him. Yeah. He's very open and honest and he does back referees. I remember after Tottenham's... That game against Chelsea, he was asked straight away after, what did you make of the red cards? Do you think that went worked against your team? And he went, well, ultimately, no, the referee's decision is final. We've got to respect them. If we don't, it'll be robots in Stockley Park who are officiating games and won't have them on the pitch. Yeah. Is there also an element where you say, look, whether you like it or not, the referee, referee's word is final. Without them, you don't have a game. There, there could be an element for that. 
But again, that is not in keeping with everything that has happened over the last few years. We wanted VAR because the refs weren't good enough. We needed extra stuff to make sure that they did their jobs properly because people weren't happy about the decisions the refs were making. So, you know, now Simon Hooper's getting, is, you know, is being defended because it's like, it's just one man who's made a mistake, but you're like, right, but you weren't happy with that a few years ago. And also, if you extrapolate it, you could say he's made a mistake that is indicative of the poor standard of refereeing. Is that not that just is. part of football though? Poor refereeing It's always been part of that. And I think if you ask lots of fans yeah. who support teams in the lower leagues, yeah. they love that there's no VAR. They love that there's, you know, you, <clears throat> part of, for me, myself, going to football, yeah. there is always part of the therapy of it that afterwards, you are outraged by what happened in the game. You're outraged by the officiating. You're outraged that ball crossed the line or not. Well, that's just maybe part of the fabric of the game. And if you're talking about the heritage and essence of football, maybe that is just back to what it used to be where you don't have technology and you just accept that as some managers used to say that you know it'll balance itself out by the end of the season some stuff will go your way some stuff yeah won't. and you you absolutely could make that argument if there wasn't var and if you hadn't pushed for var it's having your cake and eating it saying it's not nice cake is it no it's a horrible cake you're saying you know we want technology to make sure that we that every decision is right and we will blow our top whenever there is one decision made that isn't right. But if the referee on the field makes a decision that isn't right and doesn't get picked up on it, then that's all right. Yeah. Absolutely. He's on eight. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't. Don't stitch it, him up. It, it doesn't matter. He made a mistake. Move on. Players made a mistake. Who cares? You know, when was the last time there was a VAR error and everyone brought up, well, you know, United should have finished that goal. So, you know, let's all have respect for the VAR because. Um, yeah. You know, it wasn't just VAR's fault. No, the people go in two-footed on VAR all the time. And if you're going to treat VAR, and we talk of VAR like it is a robot, but it is... It's like the supercomputer, isn't it? It, 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 is, it is a supercomputer. It, it is officials, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're going to treat VAR like that, you have to treat referees the same. What did you make of Pep after the game then? What sort of mood was he in as you sat down stressed sweating through after ripping apart your match report twice <laughs> he was uh he was in a much better place than he was when he uh fell over <laughs> as tottenham scored their third goal sort of looked to the side as tottenham scored and just see him like uh completely <laughs> completely on the floor yeah. yeah like someone had sort of knocked him onto the back of his shell and sort he of couldn't one of these gospel churches and that's <laughs> yeah. christ taken out of him or yeah he pep was very restrained and very restrained throughout you know city players lost the top at that decision and they've the club have rightly been uh charged for it but pep was very restrained throughout and usually is with these type of things and he, he came out on sky and said i'm not going to make a a Mikel Arteta comment but then his press conference he was kind of asked about that and he said look you know i, I lose my heat in the moment but I'm never going to come into these press conferences and start slagging off referees because that's that's not why we lost the game and you know it is not it's not what he wants to be focusing on. He was in a very good mood um or sort of when games like this happen I think Pep comes in and expects a load of questions saying like why are you so rubbish yeah. and he's got in his head what he's going to say to say why the team was so good and why questions about them being not so good are 
not as valid as people. He wouldn't have been surprised if he came out and said it was the best tax, best performance he's ever seen yeah. City play or something. Yeah, That's yeah. Sort of... and he rightly said that they created loads of chances and... He focused on the positives, didn't he? Of, yeah, yeah, I was asked, you know, are you worried about not taking those chances? He said, no, no, we created loads, it'll happen. And look, drawing with Tottenham, that's, a boat, that's, a boat, yeah. that's an improvement on yeah. some years, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like we were saying about... Um, it could be seen as a one-off game, but in the pattern of the last three or four games... There have been a, quite a lot of trends that are not so good for City, um, which again isn't to say that, oh, they're going to get relegated or they're not going to challenge for the title, but it's not really where they would like to be at. It was nice to watch a game on a Sunday afternoon in a normal slot. New £6.7 billion Premier League deal. What does this mean for City? What does this mean for, I suppose, match-going fans and supporters who are maybe following them from across the world because I suppose the ultimate uh, whether some fans like it or not is it is the biggest football league in the world it has got a global audience and whether you like it or not there is no money in match day fans they are just part of the charade yes yeah and I think that is an issue that is bubbling to the surface at City more and more where it's often um, you know be careful what you wish for if you want success you've got to accept that it also brings in lots of people who weren't there yeah. when you struggled and who maybe do want to latch onto it and from the club's point of view they're as worthy of going to games and they've, they've got as much interest as anyone else it's just keeping everyone happy is very difficult if not impossible yeah it's funny you sort of you tend to think of fan bases as kind of static mm. and things that don't move and, and the City fan base contains you know tens of thousands of fans who've been going for 20, 30, 40 years um, but it also contains newer Fans. Yeah, I'll just jump on that. When I did the city tour in the summer, yeah, there was seventy thousand stadium, thousand capacity stadiums. City played Bayern Munich. There was genuinely about sixty-five thousand city fans, five thousand Bayern Munich fans. It was pandemonium. I've never seen, even when I've covered the other team in Manchester on the preseason tour, I don't think it compared to how many city fans were all there. All in their replica kit, all you know, official merchandise, all with gun. Oh, sorry, with De Bruyne or Haaland on the back. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. And, and, and that in itself, you know, there was a. It was a career where there was a really long queue. Yeah, it was about, the game for merchandise. It was about a two, three-hour queue just to you know, just to see that just to get the merchandise stall, and then there was another sort of three-hour queue to see the treble trophies, and yeah. there was people having to miss kickoff because they wanted to see the trophies in person and. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, and so so the club this season um, have changed a few things with their ticketing policies, which means that it is easier for people who haven't been sort of, should we call them legacy fans? Call them legacy fans. Uh, I'm really annoying them as well. But you know, legacy fans versus Super League fans. Yeah. So, but people who haven't been legacy fans can more easily attend games, and that can be a good thing. And you shouldn't be saying this is a closed shop, but. There is also at the point where, a bit like the Community Shield, you know, tens of thousands of City fans boycotted it and City still sold out, yeah. which is amazing. And City has sold out, you know, all the tickets. They put every home game for the season on sale in July and they've sold out sort of every batch of tickets. And that's also the dilemma, isn't it? Because even if you are maybe a legacy fan who says, look, I've got principles, morals, I'm not paying over this, I'm not going to go to that game there will be tens of a thousand people who will happily take it and they will not see the price as an issue. And then you are in a stranglehold where you've got to almost buy into it to continue to have your, 
your support of the club. And if you don't, you miss out and you might never get the chance to go to games again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's sort of, you know, it, it's a, there's a bit of irony in that City has always been seen as like the empty had by some... Blue suits everywhere. Yeah, um, which, you know, is nonsense, but also... If anyone's ever been to the Etihad in person on a match day, they'll realise that's false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there are there are sort of, there are points to that. But now you get into a point where City can say, yeah, we're selling out every game. Every game is full. But because of who they're selling to, the atmosphere isn't quite... Cer- the atmosphere certainly isn't what it was the second half of last season. And there is some sort of uh, justification in that because like the players aren't playing like it was the second half of last season. It doesn't feel like things matter as much because they don't. Because <clears throat> if you draw with Tottenham three all in December, it's not the same as drawing three all with them in May when you need three points to win the league. Um, but if you, the more kind of new fans you introduce to games who aren't familiar with you know, the match day, and maybe the more fans who have bought a ticket to see Erling Haaland or have bought a ticket to see the treble winners and who are going to be entertained. Sort of football tourists rather than football fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And City are trying to get bigger and bigger in this world and need to attract football tourists. And everyone has them. United have them, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. Yeah, like... Inundated. Like, um... You know, Dortmund are seen as having one of the best fan bases in the world. And that's the irony of it, isn't it? That from a British point of view, and I'm the same as I'm a big hypocrite, and I lose to them. If if I want to watch Wrexham, you've got to have a season ticket. You can't, you you cannot, there's a thousand tickets sort of free to non-season ticket holders, but you go into a tombola, so you can't actually guarantee getting to every game. And then I see loads of Americans come over and I'm like... They weren't here in the past, but they're part of the success. Yeah. But then I'm also like, oh, I'd love to go watch Bundesliga game for one day and I'd be the tourist. Yeah. And that's fine because it's me. Yeah, but when yeah. it's on the foot, with shoes on your foot, yeah. you and get it, a bit... If you go in, like, everyone in England know, knows someone who has been to a Borussia Dortmund game. Yeah. Because... Or been on a stag do to, yeah, to somewhere yeah. in the Bundesliga or to Prague yeah, or somewhere yeah, and they've got yeah. to watch a game. You've all, like, you know, lads holidays, what do you want to do? Do you fancy going watching... Local team, yeah, should we watch like Porto? Yeah, yeah, great. Buy a nice retro jersey, yeah, yeah Jiggy Sagres. Exactly, exactly. So, so in. And you look good on the gram, you're one of the lads, toxic masculinity. <laughs> then when someone comes over and does it in your backyard, yeah. it's the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah, like it is a sign of um, how City are growing that they're attracting these fans. And, you know, for, for many years, the kind of reality slash insult from the other half of Manchester was that. You know, if he said Manchester, anywhere around the world, they or would just you, you assume. Or you used to always get fake quotes of players like, "Oh, you there's one team in Manchester." Yeah, you, yeah. Well, you're, that means like, you're that means like, you're thick, basically. Unless you said this season. <laughs> yeah. It means like, do you understand football? If you knew there's yeah. one team in Manchester, that's just yeah, yeah. But but now, you know, you go around the world, you see Harlan De Bruyne shirts, you yeah. see people going going mad for. And City. the amount of even just colloquially, you just see on match days, the amount of like kids who have Harland haircuts, yeah. they have like yeah, dreadful yeah, top yeah. knots. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be kids dying their head ginger as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you just, there yeah. is City mania. And also the reality check as well now, you look, look at someone like Jude Bellingham. I've done this when I've worked on the other team in Manchester. There is another team in Manchester, believe it or not. Um, Times Cameron. You look at players like Bellingham. When he was born, 
only City have been winning trophies basically since he's been an active yeah. football fan who's yeah, been yeah, yeah. watching games since he's sort of 10 years and above. Yeah. The most modern footballers now, the young wonder kids, only know Man City is the team who win trophies. Yeah. And that will have a knock-on effect. And the true gauge of how big City are will be in 10, 20 years when you've got loads of youngsters who were, who grew up on City winning everything and they want a part of that. And, you know, like Julian Alvarez sort of grown up idolising Sergio Aguero and yeah. who does Sergio Aguero play for? Oh, Man City, the, the team who wins the Premier League all the time. So as part of winning leagues and as part of having the best players in the world and Haaland is kind of a step above but also Grealish like Grealish is so popular among kids in England and he's not on the same level but he's sort of the modern Beckham in terms of yeah, his yeah. celebrity profile yeah. and just coming across as a really nice person as well yeah and obviously the mums love him yeah yeah he's the, and, and the dads too <laughs> he's the second biggest sort of superstar at City behind Haaland and at everywhere you go, every away ground you go to, the fans will like, the the kids will love him. The parents might like boo him or whatever during the game, but they'll still be wanting his autograph after it yeah. and before it. And, and that's rival fans as well. There's yeah, this respect yeah. where any sort of kid would want to meet Jack Grealish. I'd love to yeah. have a chance. And it's the fact as well from an English point of view, he is one of England's superstars, not yeah. just Man City. So yeah. there's national pride in, in who he is as well. So Yeah, yeah. And, and also with Grealish, you're talking about a guy who's not like, it's not like he's done loads in an England shirt or like, it's not like he scores every Those week for City, but it, it's just his, his profile. His aura. And, yeah, and you know, he's got, very lucrative sort of off the pitch sponsorship deals because of that. Um, so it, it it's difficult and, you know, it, it's a moving situation and it's, it's, you know, it's really hard for, it's really hard for fans, it's really hard for clubs. Um, you would imagine that this kind of Premier League deal um, means that, well, it's it gives the clubs more money, I suppose, but also, they need more money, don't they, all these clubs? Yeah, it, <laughs> they always want more money, whether they need more. Um, you know, their appeal around the country, around the world will grow as a result. They might attract more fans, but it also means more inconvenient kickoff times probably for for match-going fans. And and I guess the, the harsh truth from the bottom line is that's not going to change. There might become a breaking point one day in football where people do revolt, but I can't see that coming anytime soon. And no. the, the factor is that you look at maybe City going to an away game, a few thousand match-going fans, their interests are going to be dwarfed by millions of City fans across the world wanting to watch that game. You know, yeah. it, it is yeah, yeah. which audience you cater to. What, I think from a traditionalist background, we always want match-going fans to be, every game should kick up at three o'clock, put the, put the, the special trains on, you know, yeah, worry about yeah. them. But the fact is that their money is minute compared to the global TV money coming in. Yeah, and it, it's just like supporting a football club is irrational. We can say you support a football club. Yeah, but it, you, you'll never sort of get away from the fact that it, you can complain rightly about you know, inconvenient kickoff times or prices going up, but you still be there. You know, I was talking the other day about I, uh, I had a season ticket that costs about 250 quid. And last game of the season, I got offered like 1500 quid for that season ticket from like support of another club who wanted to go in and watch the game. And I turned it down and it was like, like six times what I'd paid for my season ticket for just one game. The last game of the season made no difference whatsoever to me, but but it was like, well, no, I want to go and watch my team. 
Yeah. And it, it's like... Stupid decision that. Do you regret it? <laughs> no, no, I don't. But it does kind of show up how how silly things can be. And that's the same with football in general, isn't it? That City could have lost 6-0 on Sunday. You'll be there on Wednesday hoping they beat Villa. Because yeah. that's just how football, you get angry, you ride the wave of it, and that's yeah. just what happens. But, you know, the difference between people who go to the game to support their team and people who go to the game to be entertained and see the... You know, City need to sustain their success, but those kind of that that second type of fan to to go. Whereas the first lot will always be there, but while the second lot are there, the first won't get kind of as much attention or consideration as they otherwise might because they're not needed as much. Because yeah, tens of thousands of you can stay stay away from the game and will still fill the stadium. Thanks very much. And then you would turn around and say, yeah, but the atmosphere won't be as good and They'll say, who cares? Well, money in the bank. It, it's, uh, it, it is very difficult because you've got to sort of find that balance Find that balance, and, and the balance is always moving and you're always having to do things. But at the minute at City, it feels like not everything's perfect with the team and not everyone, not everything's great at, in terms of atmosphere. Thank you very much for joining us for part two. We'll be back after the break to look ahead to City's game against Villa this midweek. Welcome back to the Talking City podcast from Manchester United News. City against Villa in midweek. The game is live on Amazon Prime in the UK. You can get a 30-day free trial in the description below if you're watching on YouTube. You can also get the links on the Manchester Evening News website as well. City versus Villa then, Ursite. It is an interesting game, isn't it? I mean, Villa have been the best of the traditional rest in, in the league this season. Unai Emery's got a real exciting squad there a team that can blow hot or cold we saw that against Bournemouth at the weekend that they're a team who often take points against the bigger sides but can struggle for motivation against teams they feel they should then be beating you know by the end of the season I wouldn't be surprised they did drop off and finish fifth or sixth we've seen that many times in the past from teams who've had these these early surges and you always get those tedious articles of can Southampton qualify for the Champions League (laughs) no um but Villa do seem a bit different. They've got real pedigree with their manager. They've got a very experienced squad, both internationally and in European competition. Do you see this as a banana skin for City? Or do you think that, in a way, City are at their best when people think that they might be... From that run of Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs, Villa, you would have been looking for sort of seven to nine points from it. I think seven to nine would have been considered good, depending on kind of the upshot of it. Well, City have got three, so they can't get seven even if they beat Villa so they're, they're sort of on a must win <laughs> on a hide into nothing whatever they do yeah. but but especially because they'd won every home game this year so to then draw two really puts the pressure on the away games because the home sort of form had been the platform from which everything was was built on it's a lot easier going away if you win your home games um, and Villa score goals they score a lot of goals at home uh, under Emery they've got a very attacking team and City do not look like a team who are set to keep clean sheets um, so I'd be very surprised if they kept one at Villa Park against one of the best attacks in the league um, so it might be a case of them having to outscore Villa to well obviously you have to outscore but, but you know I think it might be a high scoring game uh, if City are to win because Villa have the 
the strengths and the skills to cause them problems. City not really beating any of the teams you'd expect them to challenge for the title either this season. Obviously, Villa would go above City if they won. Uh, but we, we said earlier in the podcast, you do still expect City at some point to find their feet, to get everything back right. Obviously, when returning players are back, they will be about some key men though at Villa Park, won't they? It, yeah. it is difficult, even this amazing City team, to make a case and say they're definitely going to win there. They drew to Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, so you couldn't say that, it, even with the strongest team. But um, yeah, it's very difficult without Rodri, as they've already shown this season. Um, and even Jack Grealish being away, well being banned. And against his former club as well, there's always that nice bit of... Yeah, I mean, we're going to wait to see if there's, you know, what the latest on Jeremy Doku is, because the suggestion was that he came off injured. Yeah, it looked like he limped off, but it didn't look... Yeah, I didn't see, I didn't think much of it, but, um, you I know, remember, with a three-day Is that Ian Rush or Mark? Yeah, I think it was Ian Rush, but he basically said, if you ha- ever have a game where you don't feel you play that well, walk off and pretend to be injured. Yeah, so there's an excuse yeah. for your performance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true. I do that five-a-side every week. So. Yeah, yeah. Doku, you know, if they're without Doku as well as Grealish and Rodri, that's a lot of holes to be filled. Now, the, the interesting thing is John Stones, because... He's been sat on the bench for the last three games uh, and Pep said, you know, he's not quite ready. He's almost ready, but he's not, you know, is Villa part of the game where you say, right, well, John Stones is fit enough and he's playing that Rodri role and that will, that is one dilemma gone because John Stones is good enough to play that that position and play it sort of, you know, almost as well as as Rodri is. So we only have to think about sort of left wing or something like that. Um, but if he's not fit enough, then... There's a real dilemma there, isn't there? Yeah, because... Would you have a candidate you'd put in? I mean, like you said, we've mentioned Rico Lewis before has been able to play centrally, but we mentioned in terms of his own development that just because he's young and promising, throwing him into a team like that with that pressure on him yeah. and without Rodri beside him or Stones there to support him, it's, it's a big, big ask. It is a big ask. You You almost wonder whether, you know... Villa will cause some chaos. So do you throw Calvin Phillips in? Um, you know, he. I think Lewis would be the the preference. Um, but then Lewis has played more as an eight than a six. You're probably going to need Bernardo Silva to drop back and, and help out with whoever plays there. Could it be the final, final chance of Calvin Phillips then? May, maybe, or, you know, maybe the, maybe the rebirth of Calvin Phillips yeah. and he'll really thrive in this game and that will sort of see him earn And you made a good staff. point there that, 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 from the Tottenham game as well that it, maybe not hypocrisy from Pep saying you know, he's suited to these games but then not bring him on but when when there's players like Rodri missing and he's not getting a chance at least maybe sometime I know lots of City fans will say we've seen enough to know that we ain't getting anything the best yeah, out of him but yeah. there'll be a section of support to say we'll give him another go Especially yeah. if you're going to Villa and there's already an expectation that you might drop points and, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world again because even if City drew, let's say, they wouldn't be that far off the top anyway. You still yeah. better them to come good. But there'll be an argument to say, look, at least give him another chance to, to at least prove himself and have that opportunity to rebirth. Otherwise, his confidence only will get lower when there's an obvious opening from the team and he's still being overlooked. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the expectation is that he will leave in January on loan to, to play more regular football. But, you know what? like I was talking before about those issues kind of stacking up for City, you don't know whether one of the issues is, again, Rodri's had to play so much because there hasn't been anyone to 
to cover him. You know, F Phillips has barely played, but Kovacic hasn't stepped up and has been injured. Nunes has been injured. So, so the midfield has really sort of been lighter than what it would. And that, even if sort of Rodri is playing the number of games he he had done or normally would, even kind of not having who you would like in front of you, places more pressure on him to step up and he will feel like he has to do more with John Stones not being there and with Kevin De Bruyne not being there. So, yeah, they, they really do need to find more cover for Rodri. That's one of the problems, isn't it? When you've got a player that good, yeah. you can rely on, and you can rely on Rodri because he plays almost every single week traditionally yeah. and his performance level never drops. But then you also do need to have a backup plan just in case. And I know that Pep will be like, well, the backup plan is Rodgers plays every week. There is no backup plan. That's yeah. the ideal world. Yeah. And you don't want to be too pessimistic. But it is a very, especially when it's been said so many times, and Rodgers said that on the eve of the season himself, look, the fixture schedule already is unmanageable. We've already reached yeah. the limit. You need to find a way to be able to rest your best players and win without them as well. That's what the very best teams do. Yeah, you do. It's sort of, it's a bit more manageable with a goalkeeper where you just say right you're number two and you come in whenever he doesn't play whereas you can't really say like look you never play unless he's injured because which player is going to sign up sign up for that so it it is difficult but it's also difficult because with stones not being fit as well sort of you lose your most natural like the closest you can come to replacing one of the best players in the world um so yeah, it's going to be really tricky and yeah, we wouldn't be expecting necessarily a City victory. Yeah, well, I was going to come to you finally there and ask what is your, I'm not asking for your score prediction per se because who the hell knows? I'm not, this is pre-press conference <laughs> as well. So, you know, Pep, got, Pep could drop a bomb in an hour or two, couldn't he? And who knows what the team would be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, do you think City can, because part of me thinks, look, the fact that everyone's a bit down on City, they could come out and just be like, look, we are still the best team in the world. 5-0 yeah. at Villa Park, Carlos yeah, scores yeah. all five. Yeah. That sort of vibe. But there's always going to be the devil's advocate saying, well, the misery's there. City are, there's a blueprint to beat them. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm thinking that it will be a draw. Okay. Um, I think City will win. I do think they'll come out all guns firing and be like, look, well done, Villa. You're the pretenders. We're the contenders. This is why we're going to go win it again. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, you know, aside from any refereeing decisions, City are going to have to attack better and they're going to have to defend better than they did against yeah. Tottenham and that they did against Liverpool and that they did against Chelsea. And they'll also have to manage the game better. And yeah. even if they're on, they're on top, not give Villa the opportunity to get Villa Park rocking for them to think there's a chance they can get back in the game. You yeah. need to kill any hopes they've got. Of yeah, well, it's very like, you know, part of the reason why people call have called City boring is because in the past when they've gone ahead, they've just won every game. And and there's not even a sniff for the opposition. No, whereas now three, three games in a row, they've took the lead and they've conceded, which is most unlike them. So they're going to have to sort something out. They will have to sort something out and we'll be back later in the week to see what does happen at Villa Park. So that's all from us on the Talking City podcast. Thank you very much, Simon, for joining us once again. Thank you very much for joining us wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave us a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to us on. Make sure you subscribe and join us again next time when we look back at that, shall we say, win at Villa Park. <laughs> we shall see. Take care. We'll see you again next time. Bye.